there's a fundraising pitch from KPCC, one of our local NPR stations. And it started out with, we know how much of this news is hard to take. No kidding. It's an understatement. This week has left me full of rage and disgust and anguish, feeling utterly crushed and overwhelmed and utterly disillusioned with every branch of our government. First, the fragility of our democracy writ large through the hearings about January 6th and seeing the extent of the utter corruption in the effort to overturn our election. Yet through it, I found myself in by the courage of witnesses who named the evil and started shining light. And then the guns. Yay, a step forward. The gun, legis gun reform legislation, breaking 30 years of inaction, a little glimmer of light, but boom, totally outshadowed by the court expanding rights to carry guns in public. So great people have access to guns, but hey, let's permit guns everywhere. The proliferation of guns is so bad already that the Episcopal Church in 2012 passed a resolution that requested that every parish and every diocese, every place of work for the church be declared a gun-free zone. So colleagues of ours in open carry states have these signs next to their church, next to the Episcopal Church welcomes you. We are a gun-free zone. And I never imagined that I would be imagining that someday we might have to put up a sign, perhaps next to strong, mass strongly recommended, that we are a gun-free zone. But the worst kick in the was the Supreme Court's decision to radically restrict the reproductive rights of women. And I come in this morning to the reading from Galatians where we hear, for freedom Christ has set us free, and that we are called to use this freedom through loving our neighbors as ourselves, the greatest commandment. Yet that freedom for all was struck down loving all our sisters, respecting the God-given dignity of every sister's very being, that was far from the ruins heart. And right away, Michael Curry, the presiding bishop over the entire Episcopal Church, he issued a statement and declared, quote, we as a church have tried carefully to be responsive both to the moral value of women having the right to determine their health care choices as well as the moral value of all life. This is an incredibly complex issue morally, personally, societally, and spiritually. And it's so divisive and so fraught with dissension and 
passion that on Friday afternoon when I went looking for some solace and support on a couple of clergy-only Facebook groups, including one that was female clergy-only, each one had a post by the admin for that site saying they'd shut down discussion on the ruling because members were already violating group policies on civil discussion. Even clergy unable to be civil with one another. One group did try to have an open discussion. They allowed one thread with a question, how do you pastor to your congregation? But by Saturday morning, they'd taken down that post because by post comment number three, people were having at each other, not very pastorally. And by Saturday night, all references, even the admin notices that the discussions weren't going to happen on these groups, all those were gone. It's as if the ruling hadn't happened. So this morning I'm going to lay out the nitty-gritty of where the Episcopal Church stands and where we are holding the moral, sacred value of all life of life from conception on through birth and forward, where we are holding that with the moral value of every woman's right to make her own health care decisions. Now these decisions come out, these positions come out of our church's governing body, which is a general convention. The general convention meets every three years as representatives from each diocese, from the laity, lay people, clergy, and then all the bishops. And these positions are come to through incredible amount of prayer. There's an idea for a position that comes up at one convention, and then there's a study group. For three years, pray and study on it, and it may come up for a vote. Or it may the vote may be, we need another three years to pray and study about it. So through prayerful discernment over many years, there are votes by delegates. And in 2018, the church affirmed and passed a resolution saying that women's, and I'm quoting, women's reproductive health and reproductive health procedures are to be treated as all other medical procedures. Unquote. The convention declared that equitable access to women's health care including women's reproductive health care, is an integral part of a woman's struggle to assert her dignity and worth as a human being. And over past decades, the General Convention, resolutions have passed on the subject. The Church asserted, quote, we empathically oppose abortion as a means of birth control, family planning, sex selection, selection, or any reason of mere convenience, unquote. And yet at the same time, since 1967, the Episcopal Church has held unequivocal opposition to any legislation on the part of national or state governments which would abridge or deny the right of individuals to, to reach informed decisions about the termination of pregnancy and to act upon them. Unquote. 
this morning at Paul's letter to the Galatians, and I see the call to freedom, the call to fully love one another as we are in the sight of God. And our walk is a walk of relationships with Jesus, with God, and with one another, with our greater community. And walking the way of love, Jesus' way, Paul calls us and to refrain from all desires and behaviors that would hurt or damage or destroy each other's dignity and worth. It's a big, long laundry list. And at the same time, he lays out the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit given by the Spirit in relationship with the Spirit, fruit freely given, the fruit of love, joy, are fruit that are nurtured in us as we walk the way of love, as we follow the Spirit. And holding that up, that fruit, with the immensity of what we're facing as a people and a nation on so many fronts, I have to say it's not easy, nor is it trivial. It is vital. And that's where today's gospel comes in. Jesus, at the beginning, is turning his face towards Jerusalem, done with his ministry in Galilee. And he's turning towards Jerusalem, Jerusalem where he will be crucified, where oppression and occupation thrive. And he asks the people to follow him, come on this walk. And some are eager, you know, I will follow you. And yet at the same time, there's fear and resistance. But my family, I've got to say goodbye. I've got to bury the dead. And Jesus, in an almost exaggerated way, is like, no, don't do that. Follow me. Following is so urgent. The needs of the world are so urgent. The need for me to get to Jerusalem. The need for us all for the crucifixion, resurrection, and new life that are at the end of the journey. That is urgent. And we here today have the freedom to choose to walk this way with Jesus. To turn our hearts and our minds and our souls towards the challenges of our God. Jesus right, says in this passage in the Gospel that to take up the If we look back, we're going to go off path. We need to plow, go straight forward. And how many of you have heard the verse, Come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest your souls. Rest does not mean inaction. Rest for our souls while we are carrying the light yoke, the loving yoke of Jesus and moving 
this end of the walk, there is new life. Along the way of the walk, there will be sparks of new life. I want to end this morning with what the psalmist said. That on our long walk, as the psalmist was on his long walk, says, I have set the Lord always before me. And because he is at my right hand, I shall not fall. My heart, therefore, is glad. My spirit rejoices and my body also shall.